scripture reading, we turn to Acts chapter 5. We just sang, Thy free salvation is my shield, my sure defense in every strait. And now we turn to a passage that speaks of our salvation in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We read starting at verse 12, and we'll read to the, to the end. By the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. When they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. The high priest came and they that were with him and called the council together and all the senate of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety, and the keepers standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you? that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter said, and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree, him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior 
for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. Then stood there up one in the, in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people, and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space, and said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do as touching these men. For before these days rose up Thoidas, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain, and all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. After this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing, and drew away much people after him, he also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. Now I say unto you, refrain from these men, and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it'll come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest haply ye be found even to fight against God. And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. So far we read from the scriptures. And what we just read in the rest of scripture are the basis for the teaching of our Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 11. Lord's Day that goes very well with the Lord's Supper. Speaking of our complete salvation in Christ. Lord's Day 11. Why is the Son of God called Jesus, that is, a Savior? Because he saveth us, and delivereth us from our sins, and likewise, because we ought not to seek, neither can find salvation in any other. Do such then believe in Jesus, the only Savior, who seek their salvation, and welfare of saints, of themselves, or anywhere else. They do not, for though they boast of him in words, yet in deeds they deny Jesus, the only deliverer and savior. For one of these two things must be true, either that Jesus is not a complete savior, or that they who by a true faith receive this Savior find all things in him necessary to their salvation.
Dearly beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, this Lord's Day and the Lord's Supper, as it is rightly explained in our Lord's Supper form, speaks about Jesus as the complete Savior. This Lord's Day speaks about the name Jesus and asks the question why the Son of God is called Jesus, that is, a Savior. And that the answer that's given is that he sa- because he saves us. He delivers us from our sins. And we ought not to seek our salvation, to seek or try to find salvation in any other. And the Lord's Supper speaks about, it sets forth, the Lord's Supper sets forth the, the truth that Christ laid down his life for us and that Christ by his spirit works within us, nourishing our souls to everlasting life. that our life in Christ is everlasting. Nothing can separate us from the love of our God. And believing that, trusting in our God, the believer is bold and has courage, even in the face of opposition. As we see was the case here, with the apostles, even after being thrown into prison, and as they are let loose and told to go and, and speak, stank, go and speak in the temple. They weren't in hiding, they were speaking right in the temple. Go and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And that's how it's described, what they were telling people the words of this life. We who are believers have a twofold life. We have a bodily life, just like those of this world. We also have a spiritual life. Christ nourishes our souls. We find in him all things necessary. All things necessary for our salvation. And in that was involved in that, that subject of finding in him all things necessary is related to self-examination. This past week, we've examined our sins and the curse we deserve for them. We've also examined our own heart, whether we believe that Christ is the complete Savior. And whether we're purposing to show true thankfulness to God in our whole life. Whether we believe what's set forth in this Lord's Day, that Jesus is a complete Savior, and that we have in him, that we find in him all things necessary. And you and I confess that we do. 
that we receive the Savior by a true faith, we find in him all things necessary for our salvation. There's nothing that we need that we do not find in him. We consider this Lord's Day under that theme, finding in Jesus all things necessary. We consider, first of all, that this is the promised Savior. We consider his name and the fact that God had promised that the Savior would come. Secondly, we look at it from the viewpoint of the complete Savior and the stress upon that and what that means, that he's the complete Savior. And lastly, we look at it from the viewpoint of looking to him. Jesus, the Savior, finding in Jesus all things necessary, that is necessary for our salvation. God had promised that the Savior would come familiar with that already in paradise God had promised that the Savior would come man sinned God had given the commandment to Adam and he disobeyed man sinned he fell into sin God came to him and spoke to him the words concerning the promised seed of the woman, the Savior from sin. God promised the Savior, and throughout the old dispensation, we read about the promise of the coming Savior, the seed of Abraham, the son of David, Emmanuel, God with us, the promised Savior who would save his people from their sins. We read of God giving the promise, and then Christ came in fulfillment of the promise. So the coming of Christ, the coming of Jesus the Savior, took place in fulfillment of what God had promised. That news, that news concerning the coming Savior was already in the old dispensation going forth to the nations to a certain degree. It was much more so the case that the gospel was spread to the nations after Pentecost but it was already the case that in the old dispensation, the word concerning the coming Savior was, was going to the nations. And God had spoken about how the nations would trust in the Savior. Already in the old dispensation, he spoke of that. The isles shall wait for his law. Isaiah 42, verse 4 says, The isles shall wait for his law. And the word the isles was a term that was used for those that are, uh, for the different nations as, they, as you go out 
across the sea, for example, and as in into different nations of the world, that they would be waiting for his law. The isles shall wait upon me, and on mine arm shall they trust. Isaiah 51, verse 5. The Bible spoke of the gospel going forth to the nations. And that there would be, when the Savior came, there would be those from different nations that would come to him. And of course, we see that at the birth of Jesus, that there were wise men that came from afar. They came to worship him. Now, when people read verses like that, that speak about the isles waiting, does that mean that all the nations of the world, that the people of the different nations were really all longing for the Savior to come? Well, of course, we know that the majority of the people have a carnal view of what a Savior would be. Their ideas would only be about this life, about themselves, about their family, about their country, and focused on this life. Not, not a deliverer who would come and save from sin. In fact, it was the case for many of the Israelites also that though they were the ones that were that had the scriptures and had been instructed about the coming Savior. And there were many that said that they were students of the scriptures and believed the scriptures, yet desiring the true Savior. They did not. They didn't want a true Savior who would be perfectly righteous and who would save from sin the Savior who would deliver from death, the Savior who would save a people from all nations. When he did come, many did not seek him. Many sought to kill him. They hated him. And so in the old dispensation, when it spoke about the isles waiting for him and trusting in him, it speaks of the fact that there would be an elect remnant from the nations that would look for the coming Savior. And when the Savior was born, God made known that his name was Jesus. He told that to Joseph and also to to Mary. He was named by God. He's God's son. You think of the fact that when you have a child, you name that child. Jesus was named by God. He is the son of God. And the question of this Lord's Day is a question that's asked as a question of one who believes that he is the Son of God. Why is the Son of God called Jesus? The question is not 
Is Jesus really the Son of God? That's not the question. The question is, is stating, He is the Son of God. Why is He called Jesus? That is, Savior. And that's what the name means. The name Jesus means Savior or Jehovah salvation corresponding to Joshua or Jehoshua as we read of the name in the old in the Old Testament the question is why is he called that and the answer that's given is because he saves us he's called Savior because he saves us he is our God he is Jehovah he saves us he delivers us from all of our sins. He's the complete Savior. He delivers us and comforts us with the truth that our iniquity is pardoned, and He delivers us from sin's bondage. So, not only telling us your iniquity is pardoned, your sins are forgiven but also delivering us from the bondage of sin. He does all things necessary for our salvation, which means that salvation is unconditional. If he does all things necessary, if we find in him all things necessary for our salvation, then that means Salvation is unconditional. And in this Lord's Day, there's a second question about those who really reject the teaching that Jesus is a complete Savior. When they ask, do such then believe in Jesus, the only Savior, who seek their salvation and welfare of saints, of themselves or anywhere else and says no they don't you think of the Jews the unbelieving Jews in Jesus days and in the apostles days that would say they were looking for the Messiah did they really believe in the coming Messiah oh no they didn't when they 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 wanted him crucified they crucified him They showed that they hated him. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. They slew him and hanged him on a tree. They didn't really believe in the Savior, even though they would have said that they were looking for the coming Messiah. They trusted in their own works, and still many today trust in their own works, trust in themselves. Many seek their welfare of saints. Many pray to Mary. And some have said, some people may say, oh, aren't two prayers better than one? Isn't it better also to look to Mary and pray to her? We're not to look to any other God. We're not to place our trust in anyone besides God. Jesus is God. 
familiar with the fact that there are those that say that we're justified by faith and works. We say we're not justified by our works. Our works can't be even the whole, the whole or even part of our righteousness before God. And if somebody says, isn't it true, though, that faith is a condition? Or isn't it the case that repentance is a condition? Isn't it true that it's those that repent and believe that are saved? Well, the scriptures do say that it's those who repent who are comforted with the truth that they're forgiven. The scriptures do say that it's those who believe in Christ who are saved. And yet, faith is not a condition. Repentance is not a condition. We are commanded to repent and believe, but they're not conditions. Faith is completely a gift. And the passage that we consider here also speaks of repentance as being a gift. And that the saints were conscious of that. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Bringing out, on the one hand, the importance of repentance. We say those who do not sincerely repent eat and drink judgment to themselves. If one does not sincerely repent and partakes of the Lord's Supper. Repentance. It's those who come to God in sorrow, who turn from sin to God with sorrow for their sin, asking for forgiveness, who are comforted with the truth that they're forgiven. But this passage says that that repentance is a gift. And we also confess that repentance itself is a gift of God. And that goes with the idea that we find in him all that we need for our salvation. And if one says, well, you know, with regard, what does that, what does that mean? Well, first of all, that means he, he does the work for us and he does the work in us. So you make the, we make the distinction of what Christ did for us. He offered the perfect sacrifice. He reconciles us to God. He also does the work in us. He quickens us. He raises us from the dead. He works in us faith. By faith we are justified, sanctified, and so on. He comforts us with the truth that we're forgiven. He also delivers us from the bondage of sin. He works in us to will and to do of the good pleasure, of God's good pleasure. It's all of God. And so when, we, when it speaks of faith, we do speak of the, we call people to repent and believe. And that's what the apostles went forth and declared, repent. We don't shy away from saying that. We say repent and believe in the Savior. That proclaiming the good news, speaking to people the words of this life, 
as they went around and brought the truth concerning Jesus as the complete Savior, they'd call the people to repent and believe in the Savior. And they would declare that repentance and faith is a gift. God gives repentance and forgiveness of sins. Christ was exalted to the right hand of God for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins given to the elect. Christ purchased for them the blessings of salvation and the spirit of Christ works it in them, applies to them what they have in Christ. And then you look at the very history itself here. Why is it in this history that there are some that continue on in opposition to God when it's obvious that they're going against God? Was it not obvious? They, did you know that they're going against God when they're opposing the apostles and putting them in prison? And had they had, as they had earlier crucified the Messiah? And here it is that we read of the angel of the Lord coming and opening up the prison and they're released. And then later they go in the prison and they find the guards out there, but there's no one inside. And the, the, the men are back and the, they're in the temple and they're teaching again. And they hear about that. They're going against God. Do they repent? They don't repent. Even when Gamaliel gives his advice about, you know, if it's of God, ye can't overthrow it, lest happily ye be found even to fight against God. That doesn't mean they repented. For we read they beat them and commanded that they should that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. They continue to command, don't speak in the name of Jesus. And they beat them, and they let them go. They didn't repent. Some do repent. God gives repentance to his people and comforts them with the truth that they're forgiven, that they're washed. We are to come to the Lord's Supper as those who find in this complete Savior all that we need. We're to eat and we eat and drink him by faith. What does that mean? What does it mean to eat the crucified body and to drink the shed blood of Christ? It means that we embrace with a believing heart all the sufferings and death of Christ. We believe that he's a complete savior. We embrace with a believing heart all his sufferings and death. We obtain the pardon of sin. We're conscious of the fact that we're forgiven. God assures us of that. It also means, we say, 
to be more united to his body so that we are governed by his spirit and that we show our thankfulness to God in all our life. For whom is the Lord's Supper instituted? Those that are looking to him and finding in him all things necessary. How is that explained? Like in Lord's Day 30, how is that explained? For those who are truly sorrowful for their sins. Are you and I truly sorry for our own sins? The Lord's Supper is for those who truly are. And when we come and confess, I am, I'm truly sorrowful for my sins. Those who are truly sorrowful and trust that these sins are forgiven. We're to come as those who trust that they are forgiven for the sake of Christ. Christ has done what was necessary. Christ does all. We find in him all things necessary. We're to come as those believing that. We are trust that our sins are forgiven. The Lord's Supper is for those who desire their faith to be strengthened. Are you sorry for your sins? Do you trust that they're forgiven for Christ's sake? Do you desire your faith to be more strengthened? The Lord's Supper is for you. Do you desire your lives to be more holy? The supper is for you. For those who desire their faith to be strengthened. Who know they don't have perfect faith and we don't serve God with the zeal that we ought. We're sorry for these sins. We desire our faith to be strengthened. We desire our life to be more holy. We desire the strength from God to, can, to fight the battle and, and to do what is to the glory of God even when there's opposition. We come to him and find rest for our souls. We come to him and find grace to help in time of need. And is that not the case that you find rest for your soul? And is it not the case that you find grace to help in time of need? In the times of our need, in the times of the need of believers whom we love, we, God, through Jesus Christ gives us the grace we need. Whatever we need, he provides. And our desire is that we might show our thankfulness to him. We pray at the end of the Lord's Supper form that we might give ourselves up to Jesus Christ more and more, 
It's quite the statement. Grant that we may give ourselves up to Jesus our Savior more and more daily with true confidence. We ask for the grace that we may not doubt that God will forever be our gracious Father. Forever. That we may not doubt that. Never more imputing our sins unto us. Providing us all that we need. For body and soul. We ask for the grace that we may take up our cross. Cheerfully. Denying ourselves. Confessing our Savior. Just as we read up here in this passage. And that in all of our tribulations, and in this life there will be tribulations, the Lord's Supper forementions that in all our tribulations with uplifted heads, we expect our Lord, our Savior, this Jesus, our Savior, we expect him from heaven, who will make our mortal bodies like unto his, and take us unto him in eternity. May we glorify our Savior. And now as we also come to the partake of the Lord's Supper, may we partake by faith. May our faith be strengthened. And may we live to his honor. Amen. Let us pray. Our Lord, our God, and our Father, we are thankful for Jesus, Jehovah's salvation, the complete Savior, our Savior. And as we now partake of the Lord's Supper, may we do that also by faith, embracing with a believing heart all of his sufferings and death, believing what thou dost teach us. May we be governed by his Spirit, Forgive our sins, comfort us, strengthen us, and may thy name be magnified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.